Hi, and welcome to the Young Life Midlands podcast. You're about to hear a series of talks from a good friend named Tom Job, who is a good friend of Young Life and a pastor in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. So he forgot to turn on his mic. So this first one will be a little hard to hear, but the rest of them are good quality and it'll be well worth it. So enjoy. They're so sweet. They've become, become like some of my best friends. And they, um, 
But um, they have some of the um, the ugliest tattoos like you've ever seen. So like one guy, you know, a guy's like his arm, his, this arm is like uh, Satan and all of his devils, and this arm is like a map of hell. And then you can see the like the love of Jesus on his face, you know? <laughs> this whole thing about he sent him to Jesus, you didn't really see it coming, did you? Like, <laughs>
Send, send them away. I mean, I was super stupid, but it wasn't Peter who said that. There was one time Jesus was going, they were going to go through this town, and the people of the town, for a variety of complicated reasons, didn't want Jesus to come through their town. So one of the guys said, Lord, would you like us to call down fire from heaven on them? Like, you don't want Jesus in your town? Let's nuke them. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't Peter, though. It was, it was James and his brother John that Jesus called. He gave them the nickname Sons of Thunder. I mean, it sounds like a motorcycle game. You know? <laughs> there was a point, right, that same, the last evening that Jesus spent with his guys, you know, and he told them he was going to the Father's house to get a place ready for them. And, and, uh, and one of them said, okay, Father's house, if, you, if we just knew what the Father was like, if you would just show us the Father. And Jesus was like, really? I mean, after all these months together, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Philip, I mean, you know, it was Stuff like there was, a, there was a certain place in John chapter 6 where people had decided that it really wasn't a good idea to follow Jesus. And so they were leaving. Like they were like, we're out. We got peace. This isn't really our thing anymore. And Jesus said, Are you guys going to go too? And Peter said, Where can we go? I mean, you have the words of eternal life. I've never heard anything like this. I don't think that's true. You know, he said, uh, Jesus said, Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. I don't think that's stupid. He said, even though everybody, like, he denies you, I will never deny you. I would give my life for you. Um, he, he wound up going back on that.
Christian writer. He's actually almost an 80-year-old. Um, he's a Jewish clinical psychologist at the University of Seattle. And he studied marriages for 45 years. And he can listen to a couple talk to each other for 20 minutes and tell if they're going to be divorced within two to four years at over 90% accuracy. And he said, this is what makes, he calls it, he said, marriages are either, they're really either good or they're not good. There's not a lot of in between. And he calls, he says, marriages that are good, he calls them masters. And marriages that are not, he calls them disasters. So everybody's, you're either a master or a disaster. And he said, this is the, the secret to why, and he said, this is not my opinion. This is scientific research of like over the, like 3,500 marriages he studied. And he said, couples that are happy, the reason their marriage is happy is because they're kind to each other. And couples that are unhappy, the reason they're unhappy is that they're becoming increasingly mean to each other. He said, couples that are happy, they say and do the small things during the day that communicate to their mate that, that they cherish that person and they cherish their friendship. And he said, that's it. And like the New Testament says, be kind and tenderhearted. Paul says in the end of Ephesians chapter 4, at the beginning of the next chapter, he says, be like Jesus, like kind and tenderhearted. And a couple that I know that they're having a lot of problems, they're they're unkind, and they're almost always hard-hearted towards each other. I was reading this, um, and couples that are happy after a long, after like a long time, like a lot of years, and they're still super happy, you'll also find out that they're sweet. They're sweet people, because they have to be. To be happy that way. I was reading this article about couples that got divorced after 50 plus years of marriage, and like, why did they do it? And there was one couple, after 57 years, they got divorced, and they asked the, the ex-wife, so why did you get divorced after all those years? And she said, enough is enough. You know, they had one couple, they got divorced after 70 years of marriage, and they said, why did you get divorced after 70 years? And they said, well, we wanted to do it earlier, but we were a little embarrassed, and so we needed to wait until all of our children were dead. So, <laughs> anyway, so, so Peter had a follower of Jesus and, like, loved him so much. Okay, so how did that happen? Like, where did these guys come from, the guys that were followers of Jesus? Well, if you look in the Gospel of Mark, like in chapter 1, the, uh, so Peter and his brother Andrew were fishing, and there were James and his brother John were also fishing. And Jesus walked by and said, Leave your jobs and leave your nets. Come and follow me. And they did. They just put their job right there and followed Jesus. And you're like, wow, how do you get that to, how do you get that to happen? I mean, like a lot of the people here that are on Young Life staff, they're trying to find leaders, like Young Life leaders, and they'll go to colleges. Like, what if you just went to college and just look at somebody and said, quit school and become a Young Life leader? And they're like, what is that? Don't worry about it. I'll tell you later. <laughs> Actually, Mark chapter 1, it's really a condensed version of what happened. The longer story is in Luke chapter 5, where, so Peter and, and his brother and the other guys, they had been fishing all night. They didn't catch anything. And so, I mean, it's super tiring. You know, like, like those nets, like they wind up, there. it's like a hundred foot net. And when they're 
So anyway, here comes Jesus over the hill with a lot of people following him. And he says to Peter, hey, Peter, can I borrow your boat? And it made Peter feel because they actually knew each other. And so Peter says, sure. So he takes Jesus out in his boat so he can preach to all these people on the hillside. And so Peter's in this boat. He had been, you know, like up all night long. He hadn't slept at all. The sun's coming up. It's getting warm. There's a boat gently rocking. Someone is preaching. I think it lasted probably about seven minutes. You know, he was gone. He was gone. Statistically, they say if you took everybody in America who fell asleep in church on Sunday morning and laid them end to end, they would be a lot more comfortable. But so he got to the end of the thing and said, and everybody said, you know, so Peter wakes up. And Jesus said, hey, Peter, you know what you have to do? Let's take this boat out one more time. Throw out your nets for some fish. And Peter's like, okay, so preaching, oh, you're totally awesome. Uh, fishing, probably the closest you ever got to that was the Carpenter Union fish box. So I know that you don't, you know, catch fish in the middle of the day, in the middle of the lake. But if you say so, I'll do it. So they throw it out there, bam, they catch like a million fish. And uh, Peter, the first thing he's thinking is, we need to make him a partner in this business, you know, we got. And then, but Jesus said to Peter, he said, Peter, um, yeah, if you thought that was awesome, if you follow me, you can become a fisher of human beings. Like, you're a fisherman, like you fish, which is awesome, but... You catch living fish, and then they die, and then they start to sink. What if you could catch human beings that are spiritually dead? Their life stinks, and then come to life. Like, what if you could? What if you could do something with your life that means a lot, like that matters, that has like eternal, like significance? The thing about it is, when you read Luke, you don't get this, or Matthew, or Mark, you don't get that. But he had been thinking about that for about a year. Because John tells us, when you read the Gospel of John, in chapter 1, John talks about the first day he ever met Jesus. He was, um, he was with Peter's brother Andrew. And they were, hanging, they were hanging around with John the Baptist. They were really getting into his message. And Jesus walked by, and John the Baptist said, there he is, there he is. That's the one I've been talking about. There's the Lamb of God. They started following Jesus. And they turned around and said, what are you guys looking for? Like, what are you seeking? And they said, where are you staying? And Jesus said, come and see. And John's like, the most important person who's ever walked the earth has time for me. When John quit a year later, says he left his dad in the boat. I mean, that was his dad's fishing business, his granddad's, his great-granddad's. He was like, I get the feeling his dad never had time for him. Like, the way Jesus did. Because his wife, John's dad's wife, John's mother, she also left him. I think he was a kid, you know, that But anyway, and so Andrew goes and gets his brother Peter. Simon was his name. And he brings him. 
to Jesus. And Jesus said, I'm calling you Peter, which means rock. I see something in you. You're like a rock. You're going to be a rock. I mean, you think about rocks that you know, like Plymouth Rock, the Rock of Gibraltar, you know, the Rosetta Stone. Like, they're still around. Like, you can have a life that has an impact forever, just for a long, long time. What if you had a life that mattered? What if you were a fisher of men? What if you had a life that mattered? I mean, to me, like, in my life, that was a super important thing. Like, when, you know, I accepted Jesus when I was 20, and uh, I met Jesus, and I met a girl. I, I met a girl the same week, and I married her seven months later. <laughs> wow, this is going on 44 years, but, um, and I just fell in love with both of them, and I wanted to serve Jesus, and in 1980, I went, I, was, I went to Bible school, like I went to you know, seminary. And I took this class on an introduction to like missionary studies. And they talk about countries where people don't know Jesus. And I'm like, what? There are people who don't know Jesus? Like I've never heard about Jesus? And at the same time, I was taking a class in the book of Psalms. And there's a song. It's the 90th song. It's, it's, the, it's the song, it's the song of Moses. It's the only song Moses wrote. And it starts out by saying, Lord, you have been our dwelling place from everlasting to everlasting before the mountains were formed or you gave birth to the earth and to the world from everlasting to everlasting. You're God. It's like, you, oh God, you could translate that. Oh God, you are. Like you've always been there. But then he says, we're not that way. Like, you turn men into dust. And I'm kind of calculating these things in my mind. You turn men back into dust. And you say, return to dust, O children of men. And so I'm thinking, <coughs> I'm going to turn into dust. Like, I'm going to be dead. One day, if Jesus doesn't come back, I'm going to be dead. Wow. Um, and I'm going to be dust. I remember this one kid, he was about six. And he went to vacation Bible school and he was up in his bedroom and he yelled at his mom and said, Mom, they said today from dust thou art to dust thou shalt return. Is that true? And she said, yes, honey. And why? And he said, well, there's somebody under my bed. I don't know if they're coming or going. But, <laughs> you know, my face said 70% of the household dust in your house Sloughed off human skin. So. <laughs> so, like when your kid, like when school breaks, it's over. They go back to school and they're no longer like playing around the house. They, they kind of still are, but they. Like, I'm gonna be dead. <clears throat> and one day, I've only got one life, and it's coming to an end at some point. And then he says, "A thousand years in your sight is like one day." So, like, if you live, like, a thousand years on earth, to God is like, just, like, 24 hours. 
Which means, like, if you live to be a hundred, and God's, like, looking at that, it's only, according to, like, heaven, that's only, like, two and a half hours long. So, your life, I've only got one. It's coming to an end. And it's getting over real quickly. I mean, it's just like it's quick. I mean, like, I'm, I'm, I'm in the mid-60s. Like, I don't know when that happened. I've been married for 44 years. Wow. I mean, I've got nine grandkids. I've got those spots that my granddad you know, those, those spots that bananas get, you know, like, you know, like, you know, how about it measure your, your life, like, in dog years? Like, if, if they measured your life in, like, banana days, I'm about four days old. Wow, it happened super fast. And he, he says, he says, maybe you get to have 70 years. Maybe if you're super strong, 80. But that it's going to be a bunch of problems, and then you're going to fly away. So he says, um, teach us to count our days so that we can present to you a heart of wisdom. Like I've only got one life, and it's going to come to an end. And it's really, really fast. And... Uh, and then it's done. So make every day count. Like the days that I've got until I'm 70, I've only got 2,290 until I'm 70. And that's all I can really expect, all things being equal. And so he says at the end of this, you know, it's like in Peter's mind. And it was going a lot through my mind. And I know that a lot of you guys feel that way. Everybody that I know that is on Young Life staff, and almost everybody who's a volunteer leader, this is the way they think. I've only got one life. I want it to count. Like, I want it to count. The last verse of that song says, it says, establish the work of our hands, but you can really translate it, make permanent the work of my hands. I want to live for something. That when it's done, it will have mattered that I live my life, that I live for something eternal, you know? It's kind of like when uh, when Frodo, like Frodo and, uh, and Sam, you know, where they get to hear his uncle, and he's like, why should we even go on? Like, Frodo's like super discouraged. I, I just don't feel like I can go on. And Sam said, what about the book, Mr. Frodo? What about the book with all those stories in it? with red and black letters that everybody is going to read to their kids about Frodo the Brave and how kids are going to say to their dad when this is done, of all the hobbits, Frodo was the bravest. And it said that Frodo began to laugh. And he and Sam laughed. And a laugh like that had not been heard since Sauron came to Middle-earth. I want to like the story want a life that matters. There was a guy named Bill Gordon. He was born in 1887 in Chicago. And he, when he was in high school, uh, he went on one of those trips around the world. And he realized that people don't know Jesus. And he's like, 
I'm going to throw, and Peter said, you're going to throw your life away. He said, I'm going to throw my life away. And I'm going to be a missionary. He went to Yale. He and three friends went to Yale and started praying for their class and just reaching out to people and trying to get people into Bible study. By the time he was a senior, he had, they had 1,000 out of 1,200 students at Yale in weekly Bible study. And he started the Yale Hope Rescue Mission for homeless people while he was at Yale. And then decided that he, he went to seminary and decided he had heard a man talk about the need for people to reach Arabic-speaking Chinese in Western China. And he said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to join the China Inland Mission and be a missionary. And he went to Cairo, Egypt in 1917 to study no, it was 1913, to study Arabic. And in three months, he got encephalitis and he died. And they opened his will, and he had left a million dollars to the China Inland Mission. In 1913, he was the heir to the board of dairy, to the milk that comes from contented cows. And he just said, I don't want this. I want a life that I remember a guy saying one time he was in Cairo, and he went to King Tut's tomb, a young guy, you know, gold, out the wazoo, you know. And then he found this little Protestant cemetery that was overgrown with ivy, and he found a tombstone that said William Boyd, 1887 to 1913. Apart from Christ, there is no explanation for this. Anyway. Everybody that you know that's on Young Life staff feels that way. And a lot of you, I know a lot of you feel that way. I want my life to count. Peter felt that way. We'll find out what happens to him tomorrow. But we thank you all so much. Well, thank you for listening to Talk One of Tom Job's Talks at Family Camp. Hope you enjoy it and look forward to the next one.